This is the Adams Road Podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. We study verse by verse through the Bible and share music filled with God's Word. Let's start today by listening through Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. Paul, as was his custom, went into them and for three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. All right, today we're in Acts chapter 17. Let's go back to verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. Paul, as was his custom, went into them, and for three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Now it's about a hundred mile trek from Philippi, where they were in Acts chapter 16, to where they arrive here in this chapter, Thessalonica, which was a port city. When they get there, they did as was their custom, going to the synagogue to present the gospel to the Jews. We learn from Philippians 4 verses 15 to 16 that Paul received monetary support from the Philippi believers while in Thessalonica. Paul wrote, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. You see, the Philippians invested in Paul's fruitful work among the Thessalonians and would therefore share in the blessings of any such harvest there. Jesus said in John 4, 35 to 36, Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. So whether we sow or reap, let's be a part of what God's doing, and then we can all rejoice together in the blessings. Here in Acts 17 verses 2 and 3, Luke accounts that they reasoned with the Thessalonians from the Scriptures to explain and show that their prophesied Messiah had to suffer and rise again from the dead. They demonstrated how the Torah foreshadows, prophesies, and proclaims the Messiah's suffering and resurrection from the dead. Then they connected these proofs with Jesus, saying basically, Look, this Jesus we've been telling you about is the fulfillment of everything we've just showed you from the Torah about the Messiah. This Jesus is the Christ. What are some of the passages from the scriptures they could have used to explain and demonstrate that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead? The passages are seemingly endless, as so much of the Old Testament points to Jesus in various ways. To name a few, the 22nd Psalm comes to mind, for example. This is a Psalm David wrote with immediate context and meaning surrounding King David's plight when he wrote it. 
However, it's also messianic. It has relevance and significance that surpasses its immediate context in that much of the passage is more importantly speaking prophetically about Israel's coming Messiah. The 22nd Psalm, for example, speaks surrounding the suffering their coming Messiah would endure. Take, for example, some of these passages and consider how they might relate to Jesus and his suffering death. From verse 1, for example, of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus quotes this same verse while hanging on the cross. Or how about Psalm 22, verses 6 and 7? I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Read the gospel accounts of Jesus' crucifixion, and you'll see this very well describes it. Take, for example, Luke's account, which reads, And the people stood by, watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Or check this out. From Psalm 22, verses 14 to 18, it says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Having bones out of joint, a heart like wax, being dehydrated, feeble, with hands and feet pierced, sounds very much like a crucifixion to me. Moreover, the Roman soldiers, according to the gospel accounts, divided Jesus' garments among them and cast lots for them. Isaiah chapter 53 is another great passage which prophesies concerning Jesus' death and resurrection. Verse 3 through 11 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, every one, to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off 
out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. This was the portion of scripture the Ethiopian eunuch was reading in Acts chapter 9 when he asked Philip the evangelist to explain it to him. And so Philip began with this passage to tell the Ethiopian eunuch the good news about Jesus. This is a perfect passage to do so as it bursts forth with the gospel message. Jesus is brought forth as God's innocent yet suffering servant who bore our sins and died as an offering for our guilt in our place to make intercession for us and make many to be accounted righteous, or in other words, to justify us before God. Now Isaiah 53 not only explicitly lays out Jesus' substitutionary death for our sins, this passage also speaks to his resurrection. After speaking of his death in verse 9, Isaiah goes on to prophesy regarding his life beyond the grave. Verse 10 says, He shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Think of this. How can these things be possible after God's suffering servant had just died in verse 9, which says he was to be cut off from the land of the living? His grave was made with the wicked. Well, he can't see his offspring after his death, if he's still dead, right? His days were to be prolonged, and this being after his soul was poured out to death. Again, how is this possible? The resurrection is how this is possible. As Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. We could go on for quite some time, but let's stop with one more example of relating Old Testament passages to Jesus' suffering death and resurrection as Israel's Messiah. Peter used a Psalm of David, the 16th Psalm, verses 8 through 11 to demonstrate how Scripture pointed towards the resurrection of Christ. As it says, I have set the Lord always before me, because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh all dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Peter explains this passage in his Acts 2 sermon. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. 
And that's from Acts chapter 2, verses 29 to 32. So Paul and his companions could have been showing the Thessalonian Jews in the synagogue such Old Testament passages and relating them to Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection. As a shadow of Jesus And the sacrifice he made for our sin Where he died once for all And then rose again Our only high priest he forever lives The prophets foretold About his life Tore the veil so we could enter in Oh, Jesus is the end of the life So that there may be righteousness for those who The temple of old was a symbol of Jesus Dwelling in our hearts when we love Him He abolished in His flesh the enemy The law of ordinances nailed to His cross Oh, Jesus is the end of the love so that there may be righteousness for those who Just keep one part, then you're bound to the rest. And if you don't keep it all, you work yourself to death. That's why Jesus is the end of the law. So that there may be righteousness for those who be the law and the prophets. Sure.
That was Law and the Prophets from the Adams Road album, Book of Life. Go out and make disciples of all nations under heaven. Go out and teach the people to observe the things that I have said. Great Commission from the Adams Road album, Great Commission.
This is the Adams Road Podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. You can learn more about us at AdamsRoadMinistry.com. Again, that's AdamsRoadMinistry.com. We release a new podcast episode every Saturday. Join us next episode as we examine Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. Grace and peace be with you all.